We're back. We're back for the first time. Yeah. Welcome to the DC podcast. I'm Russell Berger. I'm Sean DeMars. And uh, we're going to talk today about certainty. Yeah. About how Christians can have certainty. Or we might say it a different way, how Christians can know what we think we know. Yeah. And we've been having this conversation. It's part of a... We don't have a series. We're not series guys, but we've been talking about a lot of epistemology. And then we said that with epistemology, when you go down, 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 down and get to the bedrock for Christians, it's God's revelation. That's right. right. And we we talked a a lot about this in a a couple episodes prior. But the thing we kind of ended up on when we talk about how Christians can know what we know is how we view God's revelation. Mm Mm-hmm. And more specifically, God's word, scripture. Yeah. And how we can know his word is from him. How mm-hmm. we can, you know, we make scripture our foundation Yeah. for how we then know everything else. That's right. That kind of, of course, the obvious question then is, well, how do you know God's word is God's word? Yeah. If it's your foundation for knowing everything else. And the answer you gave was, we have over 5,000 manuscripts of the <laughs> New Testament alone. There's a lot of really good historical evidence and uh, historical critical evidence uh-huh. for how we can be sure, just using these sort of secular historical criteria, that yeah. the words, the content that we have in our Bibles yeah. is the same words and the same content, the same messaging that was in the original autographs written by Paul and Mark and Luke and, yeah. uh, and everyone else who was a biblical author. So there's good evidence for that. Yeah. But that evidence is just supporting our foundation that the Bible is self-authenticating. Mm-hmm. Scripture, God's word has within it all of the evidence within its pages for us to see it and know it is what it claims to be. Mm. And so that self-authenticating understanding of scripture, it's uh it's a little different than how some Christians might think that they know Christianity's true. Okay. And so I want to revisit this today in this episode and talk about that. Talk about some sort of competing ways that Christians will sometimes say, well, we know the Bible's true because X, Y, Z. Okay. And I want to show why I think those are deficient. Okay. And then I also want to talk about some of the criticisms or, or skeptical sort of uh, responses that we'll get to this view of Scripture. Okay. Um, before we do... I want to make it clear, and I've, I said this in the last episode when we talked about the same topic, that almost everything that I'm talking about has come from other sources. And one of the yeah. primary sources that I'm pulling from is Dr. Michael Kruger. Phenomenal. Uh, he's the reason that I uh, applied and, and it was enrolled at RTS, Reformed yeah. Theological Seminary, because I, I heard his lectures on this topic. He, he actually does a lot of work in canonicity. He does, yeah. And, and if you haven't read Canon Revisited, you absolutely should. It's phenomenal. Is it up here? I think I've got it. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, he is fantastic, and he, is, he has done a lot of work on this idea of the self-authenticating model of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's not new. Uh, this is a view of Scripture that the Reformers held to. Mm-hmm. And you can see just traces of this view all the way back in the second century and the church fathers. And so it's it's not a new concept, but it's a concept that modern evangelicals are not usually really familiar with. Wait, you're saying that a modern evangelical isn't familiar with something that has a long lineage in the history of the people of God. Touche. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So let's, let's dive right in. Self-authentication. What What is that? Review time. It's it's this idea that the scriptures have the fingerprints of God all over them. So there are just certain attributes, qualities of the scriptures that make it plain and obvious to, to 
to us that they actually come from God themselves. So the the beauty of scripture. Beauty of scripture. Yep. Yeah. The natural coherency of scripture. It's all one it's you know, it's sixty six books, but yeah. it's really all one narrative. Yeah. Theological coherence, yeah. uh historical coherence. Yeah. Uh, it's all one story. That's right. So there's two. Three. I don't remember the third one. Uh power and efficacy of scripture. Yeah. Its yeah, ability it's to one. cut to the heart. Yeah. Uh, its ability to expose us for who we are as sinners. Uh, yeah. It's ability to change hearts. Yeah. Um, I think all of these for most Christians who have read their Bibles, it's going to be like, Oh yeah, of course I see that. I see the beauty and majesty of Christ throughout all of scripture. I see how this, this book, when I read it, it's actually reading me. Mm-hmm. I've encountered God on the pages of scripture. Mm-hmm. So those attributes those evidences, those marks of divinity in scripture, it's how we know the Bible is from God. Mm-hmm. And what's really important about this is that we're not saying we can know the Bible's from God because of some external standard over here. Right. We're not saying, well, these historical criteria <coughs> or my reasoning or my, uh, my historical investigation or what the church says, mm-hmm. all of these other external ways of giving the Bible its authority yeah. actually make the Bible less of an authority and make that thing that I'm appealing to right. the ultimate authority. And we are pro reason. Uh, of course we are pro any number of these different sorts of epistemological authorities. Yeah. And I, and I would say a lot of them, a lot of these other ways of trying to validate the authority of the Bible mm-hmm. have truth to them. Yeah. And they, and they can't be avoided and they shouldn't be like you said, the, the historical evidence that mm-hmm. the Bible has thousands of manuscript copies, extant yeah. manuscript copies that we can look at and use yeah to sort of support our view that we really do have the original content of scripture. Yeah. But that's not the authority right. that gives us certainty that the Bible's what it says it is. That's right. It's just supporting evidence. Yeah. The Bible self-authenticates. It gives us everything we need right here in its pages. So, so far, this is just a really long review from the other episode that we did on this. That's right. So what? why are we doing a part two? All right, so here's the two ways that we can see this self-authenticating model, um, or, or let me put it this way. These are, there's two different ways that we see people try and authenticate scripture that are not the way we would say scripture authenticates itself. Okay. So the first one would be the, the community authentication view. Mm. So the church in Rome mm-hmm. would say that the Bible is trustworthy. That yeah. We can know that it's the word of God because the community, the church, the early church, got together and they decided right this book is canonical this book isn't this book is god breathed this book isn't right and so we would see the the church saying that the that god has given the the church the authority to make that judgment you're right so what's the problem there well the problem is it, it sets the church as an authority over scripture that's right now rome yeah. would say well the bible still has authority yeah there was yeah but they would say it doesn't have supreme authority. That's right. right. Well, and well, they would say that it's a shared authority, like a dual authority. That's right. On yeah. equal terms. But as Greg Allison has really powerfully shown uh, in his work on the doctrine of sola scriptura, particularly in relation to the Roman Catholic doctrine of authority, is anytime there's dual authorities functioning, there really will practically only always be one authority functioning. Right. There's yeah. no such thing as a as a true dual authority right. when we're talking about epistemology, yeah. how we know. That's right. Now, theologically, the problem here is that as you look all throughout God's word, you see he, through his word, creates his people. His right. people never create the word. Uh, what we see happening in the codification of the canon 
is a recognition by the church of God's established canon, not a choosing of the canon. That's right. So when so when we say canon, mm-hmm. we're talking a, about on the pirate ship. That's right. Sorry, go ahead. There's a sense in which you can talk about canon and be talking about that closed list of books Mm -hmm. the church has put a stamp on, Mm -hmm. and that's it. It's a done deal. Yeah. But the the to borrow a phrase from Michael Kruger, we would say the ontological canon. I know. It just rolls off the tongue. When we say canon, we're talking about the books that God gave the church. Mm -hmm. And they were canonical from the second that pen went to paper. That's right. And so the church then has recognized, as you said, mm-hmm. those books, That's not right. determined what they were. That's right. So and this to, is important. And to, to hold a view that the community, which we would call the church, chooses that which is inspired is completely backwards. They choose that which is from God. And here's where that, that backwardsness is. Okay. So we would say that these books of the Bible, Scripture is objectively unique. Okay. Remember, we said it has all these divine fingerprints in it. Mm-hmm. I can read scripture and say, wow, that's from God. Yeah. Here's why I can see that in the pages. This community-determined model says, well, there's nothing unique about these books. It's actually the church's saying this is scripture that makes it scripture. Right. Now, the problem with that is that's also the same exact way that secular, unbelieving, critical scholars view scripture. That's absolutely right. And I know that sounds funny that you'd have the Roman church sharing a view of scripture with guys like Bart Ehrman, atheists. That's not funny to me. (laughs) But but this is, they're looking at scripture the same exact way. Yeah. And a guy like Bart Ehrman is going to say, yeah, there's nothing special about these books. Mm -hmm. This is just a list of books that the winners of history kind of picked for themselves. Yeah. And of course, the problem with that is it's, you know, this idea that there's no that these books are just books the church picked assumes that there's no right or wrong answer. Right. It assumes that there are no books from God yeah. to, to start with. And we yeah. would profoundly reject that. Yeah. We would say that's the only way something can be scripture mm-hmm. is if it comes from God. Yeah. So what would you say it is about the books that made the early church, what that led the early church to recognize them? Would it not be their self-authenticating nature? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say self-authenticating qualities. There's divine right. qualities we already right. talked about. I would also say uh, apostolic authorship. Right. And I think that's that's critical. Yeah. You know, we have this apostolic authorship or apostolic connection right. uh, between the authors of Scripture and yeah. the, you know, Paul wrote Scripture himself, but also the witnesses, the disciples that's who right. followed Jesus around for his entire ministry. Yeah. Well, there were any number of different qualifications. I think there was like four or five. It's been a while since I looked at it that, that we say the early church used. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's we want to be clear that when it comes to books that don't belong in the canon, like the, Go- the Gospel of Thomas. Right. The reason why the Gospel of Thomas wasn't included or the Gospel of Barnabas wasn't included in the canon is because it doesn't have those self-authenticating things about it. That's you know? right. It, it's not inherently beautiful. It's not inherently cohesive. It's right. not blah, blah, blah. It contradicts the word of God that we've already received. That's right. So whereas a guy like Bart Ehrman or the secular, you know, higher critical scholars would say, well, that's not in it because it wasn't liked by the early church. Yeah. The winners of history didn't like what it had to say. Yeah. Uh, which is just incorrect. Yeah, that's right. Now, there's another way that Christians will often try and authenticate scripture that's more along the lines of what we talked about earlier, the sort of evidence-based approach. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of truth to this view of trying to authenticate scripture. Um, I like to think of this as, we would call this the historically determined view. Okay. 
Uh, I like to think of it as the well-meaning but slightly misguided evangelical view. Okay. And this view basically says... That's been us at times. That's been me many times. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably the most common way that evangelicals view scripture is to say that there's this, this list of historical criteria. Mm-hmm. And often that list of historical criteria is borrowed from the way that secular, unbelieving people do history yeah. to determine the veracity of some historical document. That's right. So uh, when is the earliest version of this account found? Mm-hmm. You know, how, was it an early attestation or a late attestation? How many document or manuscript extant copies are there? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there this criteria of embarrassment for the author? Like all these different ways yeah. that you can kind of try and validate whether a historical document is true. Yeah. And these, this, these, these criteria um, tend to then become sort of the way, this filter that we run scripture through and when it comes out on the other side, the evangelical world will say, yeah, there you go. See, it passed. So yeah. this is from God. Yeah. There's a problem there. Okay. Yes, Scripture is going to pass all those tests. And that's good. And it's good because, yeah. I mean, it's going to pass those tests because it's true. Right. Because it really did, you know, get recorded when we think it did. It really yeah. did happen the way it claims that it did. Um, it's going to pass historical criteria like that. If you have reasonable criteria, it makes sense that if it really is from God and it really is true, that it would accord with true criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the problem, though. Where do those criteria come from? The devil. <laughs> those criteria are ultimately arbitrary. Yeah. And not all of them. Not all of them, but that, a lot of them are derived from from truth. They're derived from truth in the sense that they are methods by which our we've created defined you know with yeah. to the best of our ability mm-hmm. what's true and what's false in history that's right but those criteria are now the ultimate authority yeah so we've that's made the these human standards these these historical criteria the ultimate arbiter over whether our bible is true or not yeah we've made our sort of human reasoning mm-hmm. the standard that we then validate or or discount god's word through yeah and that is, a, again, a rearrangement of authorities that we shouldn't accept. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other way we see this happen is in very liberal strands of the church. Uh, we see this canon within a canon concept. Yeah. So, the, you know, the liberal view is I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to determine using these historical criteria, these screens that I filter scripture through, mm-hmm. what Jesus really said and what in here is stuff that other people added later. Yeah. And you end up with this, here's the true Bible, here's the real Jesus within yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, again, what is the ultimate authority there? Well, that ultimate authority becomes you. Yeah. And lo and behold, anytime you get a liberal theologian running Jesus through his own personal historical filter, yeah. Jesus ends up looking exactly like that liberal theologian. That's right. And, and, you know, I think conservative people are prone to do this in a less liberal way. For if sure. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. The, they, they want to make Jesus into a card carrying, uh, NRA member, Republican party. Right. You know, if you want to find the American Jesus, you'll find it. Oh, yeah. If you go to scripture yeah. looking for the feminist liberal Jesus, yeah. you'll find him. Yeah. Um, and that that's once again, not treating God's word as self-authenticating, but treating your historical criteria, your personal views yeah. of, of what can and can't be true. That's the authority. So Thomas Jefferson is 
kind of the progenitor of this method. Now he just, you know, he said logic, reason, you know, whatever. I can sit down and try to, obviously miracles are out and obviously this is out. And so, but vet ethics and virtue, those are good. And he sat down with his scissors and his glue and he made his own little Bible. He really did. Like, yeah. He cut out parts of his Bible. That's right. Yeah. And then he glued them to other pages and he had his own Jefferson, what we now call the Jeffersonian Bible. Yeah. But what you're saying is that this, this is still happening today, except for it's just, it's happening in the halls of academia. And instead of sitting down with scissors and glue, it, you're using historical critical methods in order to create your new Bible. But That's it's the right. same thing. Yeah, it's it's exactly the same thing. Um, I mean, look at a look at a guy like um, uh, Rob Bell. Who? Rob Bell. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. He has done a little Doesn't bit. Doesn't of... ring a bell. <laughs> Rob, Rob Bell uh, teaches uh, universalism. Uh, teaches that. No matter who you are, no matter where you live or how you live or who you claim to follow as, as God, yeah. you're going to go to heaven and there's no yeah. such thing as hell. Here's a pithy way I'd like to, to coin that. Uh, I like to say love wins. Oh, you yeah. should send him that. Yeah. So yeah. what is he doing? Well, he's not literally cutting sections of his Bible out, mm -hmm. but theologically he is. Right. He's finding the Jesus that gets him to his already determined theological conclusions yeah. that that work for him. Yeah. And he won't let scripture speak for itself because there are parts of scripture that will contradict what he believes. Yeah. So same exact concept. Yeah. Um, so ultimately I think these two, again, these two ways of viewing and authenticating the authority of scripture have truth to them. You know, the community does recognize scripture and does give authority to scripture in the sense that they see the authority it already has. Yeah. Uh, so their authority is, is lower than the authority of scripture. Yeah. Uh, there are good historical reasons to believe Scripture is true. There's historical criteria that we can run Scripture through, and we're always going to see mm -hmm. support for that where, mm -hmm. where we can find evidence of it. Yeah. But those can't be ultimate. Right. In the same way the community can't be ultimate. Yeah. Um, so, this self-authenticating model. There's some criticisms we get of this. Yeah. I uh, read the Bible. It didn't seem beautiful and coherent and powerful to me. Yeah. I don't see any of that stuff. Yeah. I, I don't see this divinity, these fingerprints of God all in the pages of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's important? You wouldn't. What's important about this is we're not claiming, this is really important, we're mm. not claiming everyone can see the divine attributes of Scripture when they read it. All right. You're about to say something Gnostic. Go ahead. Ooh, secret hidden knowledge. That's right. Only only the, the select chosen few can read it and see the fingerprints on it because we have the glasses. That's right. Um, so this book, we say this book is objectively <coughs> unique. Yes. So no matter who you are, when you open this book, there are divine qualities staring you in the face. Yeah. However, our understanding of sin, of human sin, are the the moral rebellion against God that we're all guilty of acts in such a way on our minds and our mm -hmm. perception that mm -hmm. we can't see it. That's right. We cannot see the divinity in this book unless the Holy Spirit first opens our eyes to it. Yeah. It's so, a self-limiting filter. Yeah. So, so it's not, um, to put it this way, this isn't just a normal old book. And when I open it and I get this secret message from the Holy Spirit whispering my ear mm -hmm. and he says, Hey, this is divine. Mm -hmm. I have this personal revelation that like, Hey, this normal book guys, I learned that it's actually true. Yeah. It's not what we're saying. Okay. We're saying that this book is objectively from God. Yeah. And whether I can see it or not, it's there in the pages and the Holy Spirit removes the blinders of yeah. sin from That's my right. eyes and allows me to see what's there. That's right. Now that's, that's an important distinction 
because the first version I described mm-hmm. is what uh, many of the false religions of the world use to back up the claims of their holy book. That's right. So the Bible says it's from God. Yeah. So does the Book of Mormon. So does the Quran. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to a Mormon or if you talk to, wait, they're not Mormons anymore. What are they? Is they there, said is they there don't like want a to be, rebranding? Yeah, they're rebranding. Oh. They don't want that? to be called Mormons. LDS? Oh, okay. So <laughs> everybody's got to have an initial. All right. Yep. So they're, uh, when the, the formerly. What if you're an LGBT LDS? The, should we do like a Prince thing? When the cult formerly known as <laughs> yes. Mormons. Yes. Uh, and that's why you tune in, ladies and gentlemen. We don't really have anything unique to say, no. but. Um, so when the when the Book of Mormon says this is from God, right? Uh, the Mormon won't say, "Hey, look, this is just open it up and read it for yourself." This mm-hmm. is full of the divine attributes of God. What he'll say is, "Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal mm-hmm. it to you. Yeah. Ask for this personal, private revelation, because that's what I got. I got the burning in my bosom, mm. and I know now that it's true. Yeah. Even though there's nothing particularly unique about what's on its pages. Yeah." Uh, the Quran, same way. There's, yeah. there's a, a strain of Islam that will say the same thing about the Quran. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we're saying. Yeah. Important distinction. It is, yeah. You know, it's 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 like holding up a red piece of paper for a person who's colorblind. Yeah. You know, the paper is objectively red, but you, you can't see it because you're colorblind, you know? And, uh, but there, and there is an aspect in which God must do something in order to allow you to see it for what it is. Right. Uh, but we're not in charge of that. No, Jesus, Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. That's right. He says, and I know them and they follow me. So he's he's saying that there is an ability to hear God's voice in mm-hmm. scripture that only his sheep have. That's right. And why? what's the distinction there? Well, his sheep have his spirit dwelling within them. That's right. And yeah. if you're not his sheep, by, by implication here, you don't hear his voice. Yeah. Um, first Corinthians chapter two says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's right. And he's natural. That means he's of the flesh, not of the spirit. He's received the spirit of the world. He doesn't have the spirit of God living in him. Yeah. So one of the responses you'll get at this point, if you're talking to an unbeliever about this is, well, you know, that's, it doesn't that work out nicely for you that since I don't see these things, it's because I'm lacking God's spirit. Um, you know, the answer is, yeah, it, does. I mean, <laughs> it really that, does. That's yeah. exactly what we're saying. And, yeah, and you may not, perceptive. you may not like that, but here's what's important is we're not dealing right now with what would be called a de facto objection. This is a de jure objection. So what that means, don't look at me like that. De jure, de giorno, de, not de giorno. I know, I know yeah. that's the first place your mind went. <laughs> Obviously, okay. De jure objections are objections. Wait, sorry. What's? I'm sorry. It's not de facto. It's de jure. It's not delivery. Yeah. It's de giorno. Okay. Anyways, me. go ahead, man. We're at 23 minutes, by the way. A de facto <laughs> objection is an objection of fact, okay. meaning the Bible's not true. Yeah. That's not the objection we're dealing with mm-hmm. right now. We're dealing with a de jure objection, which is a, a an internal consistency. Or okay. inconsistency. Yeah. So this is the objection that says you Christians can't believe that your Bible's from God because you can't really know that it's from God. Mm-hmm. So you don't have warrant. You don't have justification to believe with certainty that this is from God. So you need to be more skeptical. That's the objection we're dealing with. And that's mm-hmm. a de jure objection, meaning it's an objection about whether or not our system of viewing scripture is consistent yeah. and makes sense. Yeah. And we've answered that. Whether yeah. you like it or not, yeah. it's consistent and it's it makes not a sense. Satisfying answer to you. You maybe. you may not believe that it's true, yeah. but but that's a totally different type of objection. That's, that's right. the de facto objection. Yeah. And there's other ways that we would approach that. 
right now we're just dealing with do Christians have good reason? I mean, do, can we can we substantiate mm-hmm. our certainty in this book in the yeah. scripture? Yeah. And we can. Yeah. Um, finally, let's wrap it up with this. Wrap it up. There are, of, of course, if you're listening carefully, maybe if you listened to the last episode on this, you your mind's already there. Isn't this circular reasoning? Yeah, that's the question. Isn't it completely fallacious and circular to point to the Bible and say, I know the Bible's true because the Bible authenticates itself as true? Yeah. Uh, and the answer is, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a broad circularity, but that's true of all foundations when we're talking mm. about knowledge. Yeah. So if you go down through your beliefs, I believe A because of B, I believe B because of C, I believe C because of D. You're going to hit bedrock at some point Mm -hmm. and you're going to have a foundational belief that supports everything else. And that's always, always got to be Mm self-authenticating because it can't point to anything outside of itself or it's no longer the foundation. That other thing is, and that thing must be self-authenticating. That's right. Uh, An example? No. Other than the Bible. How Mm -hmm. do people, you don't want to do, you don't want to go there? No. I'm going to go there. Okay, go ahead. You may, as an unbeliever, think that your human powers of reason Mm. are the foundation. And if it comports with your reason, then you know it's true. If it doesn't, you know it's not true. Mm. And everything builds on that. How do you know your reason is trustworthy? Oh, because your reason tells you it is. Because you've reasoned it. It's self-authenticating. At least you're claiming it is. That's right. Uh, Same thing with the community view of the Bible. How do you know the Bible has authority? Well, because the church, the church has given it the stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you know the church has done that correctly? Well, it must somehow authenticate itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's ever been sufficiently answered by people who hold that view. No. But it has to be. It has to. Um, the same thing is true if you trust in your sense experience. I see it. I smell it. I touch it. it then I know it's real. Well, how do you know your senses are trustworthy? Yeah. Well, because they authenticate themselves. You know, it's in, it's in front of my eyes. I see it. I trust my senses. Yeah. So this self-authenticating view, it's not circular in a fallacious way. It's yeah. circular in the same way every claim of epistemic foundational authority has to be kids do not if you're listening kids i'm talking ages 6 to 14 do not trust any philosopher who tells you you can completely eliminate circular reasoning Mm. and in the circular reasoning that we would want to avoid is narrow circular reasoning which is to say i'm making a claim that i should have sufficient external reasons to support yeah and i'm not giving those yeah i'm just pointing back at my claim um, and that would be an example of narrow or fallacious circular reasoning. Yeah. Uh, a good topic for a future episode might be uh, us answering the question if we might be making an argument against something that is from generations. We're making an argument against an idea that this generation doesn't even really care about anymore. You know, we're we're making a, an argument against somebody with a modern mind, you know, from the modernist movement yeah. might really appreciate. But in this post, post postmodernist world where facts and uh, logic and reason are all tools of supremacy uh, don't mm. really matter. So yeah. we might just be, we might just be spitting into the wind here arguing for these things. Yeah. You know? That's good. Yeah. We might touch it. Maybe we should investigate that. All right. We've run super long. Yeah, we have, but so, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Anything to read? No, but maybe you can link those, uh, those Kruger lessons, uh, lectures, that. lectures. Yeah. yeah. I'll and, do that. Or the Kruger book, just something from Michael Kruger. If you haven't read anything from Michael Kruger, you're wrong. You're wrong and don't, but do. Okay. All right. Signing off. Have you been working on your phrase? I have nothing. All right. Oh, Thanks okay. for listening. Thanks for listening Catch to San Diego. Ah, uh, so, so I don't got it.